Welcome to The Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. The Advertising Show is being brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. Visit online at adage.com. It's an advertising show encore show with Carl Izzy out of the Detroit area. Global Hue International is the name of his company, and we know you're going to enjoy today's interview. Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth is a copyrighted Big Radio Midgets production. Enjoy. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. Welcome back. Ray and Brad here at The Advertising Show. Carl Izzy is our very special guest. Carl is president of Global Hue. Globalhue.com is the website out of uh, Michigan. And, uh, Carl, it is a sincere pleasure to have you here at The Advertising Show. Welcome. Thank you. And by the way, that's Hue, H-U-E, so check it out, GlobalHue.com. Start us off, Carl. Global Hue is a known leader in cultural-based marketing. Tell us a little bit about your firm's areas of practice and the services you offer your clients. Well, we have essentially uh, four groups here. We've been the longtime leaders in African-American, Hispanic, and Asian marketing, which are the core areas of our practice. And uh, in... in uh, 2008, we started to look at some of the changes in our markets, and we added a fourth practice area, which is Global Hue Next. And Global Hue Next is the area that I'm responsible for. We're part of the team that's dedicated to expanding Global Hue's footprint beyond the traditional ethnic segments that we've served. And uh, as you may know, Global Hue now has uh, agency of record assignments that go beyond multicultural into all consumer segments for brands like Jeep, Bermuda Tourism, and MGM Casino Detroit. So essentially, as our audiences are growing and changing, so are we. Well, you know, you strike a chord totally off uh, script here as you describe your company. What are your thoughts on all the hubbub that's been going on for years within the ad agency business and the concern about the multicultural mix or lack thereof of the people that are creating advertising these days? Well, I think it's uh, far better to be in global use shoes than it is to be at uh, some firms that are less diverse. And uh, from our perspective, the diversity that we have is a true strength. We're very representative of what we consider uh, the new America, which is an ethnically and culturally very diverse America. I think there are a lot of uh, changes that are still to come in the industry as far as how, uh, quote-unquote, general market agency staff and uh, part of that is uh, really trying to attract people into the industry uh, from all walks of life. I think it's going to continue to be a discussion point. And I think that as brands uh, continue to see the changes and the 2010 census will again illustrate those changes, um, they'll demand, uh, it'll become an imperative for their uh, agency partners to make sure that they're representing, representing many different cultures. Yeah, I think it's odd that in 2010 that, uh, you know, those that are out creating Madison Avenue, Chicago, L.A., wherever, creating messaging for the general population does not have a reflection of the general population mix, ethnically speaking. But we won't spend time talking about that here yeah, it's, today. It's, Let's, it's uh, even odd discussing it. It shouldn't be happening, basically. Well, it's odd that we're still talking about it in 2010. But in any event, I'll leave that for the publications to 
editorialize on. Earlier this year, we came to know you through Ad Age CMO strategy article entitled A Primer on the New America for CMOs. And you say early on in your piece that uh, a recent Ad Age white paper confirms what we, I think, already knew about the impending 2010 U.S. Uh, census uh, data uh, due out, by the way. I guess census forms are due back here uh, just the past April 16th. So to get us started, share with us some of the key findings you expect to come from the new census data and what you, as you say, already knew about the consumer market in uh, 2010. Well, you know, thinking back to the census 2000, I mean, the census 2000 was a watershed moment for a lot of brands uh, in realizing that multicultural marketing was a business imperative. Uh, if it hadn't been before, um, particularly the growth rates in the Hispanic market drove a lot of brands to uh, reallocate funds towards uh, tapping what they were considering our emerging markets. And so as we come into the 2010 uh, census, uh, we expect that that will again raise the level of collective consciousness about how rapidly um, these populations are growing. Already in between censuses, the census has said, hey, our, uh, our estimations for um, uh, majority multicultural America for 2050 are now being revised to make it for 2042. So I think there will be more surprises on the upside in terms of just how diverse America really is. What we really uh, expect is going to come out of the census, and AdAge, I think, did a great job in, uh, in tipping their hat to this, is the, the complexity. Uh, this is, uh, they have some wonderful quotes in the primer uh, the concept of the average American has gone forever, and um, average America has been replaced by a complex, multidimensional society that defies simplistic labeling. And I think uh, when we look at the census, uh, at what we expect to see from the census, we not only expect to see a tremendous amount of, of ethnic market growth, but we also expect that the numbers will accentuate the complexity of the world that we live in right now. When we look at uh, already the top ten, uh, the top two states in terms of population in the United States, and the top ten markets are majority minority, uh, we're looking at what the effect of these numbers are going to mean. Is it that brands are going to say, "Hey, there's much more Hispanic growth, and we need to allocate uh, more money towards uh, these emerging markets," or is it also going to be we have to really reevaluate the way that we go to business in our general market because we're dealing with majority-minority populations as a whole. Well, uh, many brands have already begun to find new ways to connect to a growing, diverse consumer market, yet you say segmentation isn't enough and that uh, a bigger change is emerging than simply a shift in demography. Talk a little bit about what you mean by this and describe some of the changes you see coming up, Carl. Well, it's really like there's a... You know, perfect storm is a term that's overused, but there are uh, a confluence of factors that are coming into play. So not only do you have massive growth uh, in, in terms of immigrant populations, particularly Hispanic, against a backdrop uh, of um, much more advanced technological communications platforms that allow people to live in a very bicultural way because they can connect to home countries, they can travel easily, there are huge media infrastructures to support uh, retaining elements of their home culture. So the, in, in addition to uh, the demographic growth, there is also the, uh, the fact that uh, 
that technology is playing a, 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 a playing a part in how people are becoming exposed to information, and uh, so are other factors in, in terms of uh, what sociologists would call postmodern transformation and the ability for people to feel much more individualistic and define themselves in multiple ways. So when we look at it, we look at it as not only simple growth, but we look at the fact that there's diversity not only in the market, but within individual consumers. Consumers feel much more empowered in the absence of a mainstream America and corresponding counterculture, the kind of like the, the established cultures that my generation grew up with. Uh, these consumers are finding uh, an ability to define themselves in very different ways, and it suggests a lot more complexity for marketers who are trying to bucket people uh, in some of the traditional segmentation approaches that have been uh, in the market as a whole. It's either been generational or household income, uh, etc. Our guest on the advertising show today is Carl Izzy. Carl is president of Global Hue Next, the agency's groundbreaking Total Market Division, a member of the uh, Global Hughes Executive Committee. We uh, continue our conversation uh, with Carl out of Detroit area this, uh, this uh, well, in just a few moments here on the Advertising Show. Don't go away. Make informed decisions about your company's advertising strategy. This is the Advertising Show. USA in your Chevrolet. America is asking you to call. Drive your Chevrolet. Welcome back. Ray Schillens, Brad Forsyth on the Advertising America's Show with our special guest this weekend, Carl Izzy, out of uh, the Detroit area and uh, at Global Hue. GlobalHue.com is the uh, website if you'd like to uh, check out that. But in the meantime, we continue with our interview. Carl, it's good to have you here. Welcome back. Thank you. Uh, staying with the uh, thought that you were sharing with us just before the break, you're quoted as saying the days of mainstream culture and counterculture are gone, which I found is a bit of a bold statement, Carl. Do you think Snoop Dogg would agree with you since he seems to have crossed over to a broader appeal? I mean, you know, I saw Snoop on Larry King the other day, which kind of made me realize that... Uh, totally doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, may- maybe you're right. Maybe there is no counterculture anymore. I don't know what you define as, counter- as what you would define as counterculture. Uh, I think some of the... the you know, it's hard to look at a society where gay marriage and medical marijuana stores on the corner and my lawyer with a three-foot uh, length of rock band hair... Uh, <laughs> and, and a professional suit, it's very difficult to say what's counterculture and what's not these days. Oh, true. But I think that what well, we approach that, and when we make the statement, we're doing it with some backing. We just concluded a study uh, of over 8,000 people with uh, nearly 200 questions across all ethnic segments of America. And we basically concluded that there's a tremendous amount of differentiation and that the United States has uh, many different groups. We actually isolated 32 sub-segments across the four eth- ethnic groups, African-American, Hispanic, Asian, and non-Hispanic white. And there's some real uh, strength in many of those sub-segments, and it's very hard to say that there's one homogenous uh, society that, uh, or, or culture that people ascribe to. Yeah, you know, I guess at one time uh, we're all old enough to remember that if you just had your hair slightly over your collar, you were considered a counterculture. And when I use Snoop Dogg and him appearing on on, uh, Larry King as an example, it's to support your point. I think that, uh, you know, 
I don't know how you how you become counterculture anymore. I mean, it, you know, whether it's a uh, you know a, a wire through your nose or you know something, you know, a tattoo across your eye. Thank you, Mike Tyson, uh, or what? Uh, that these days, pretty much, uh, you know, everything is is pretty accepted in terms of both uh, cultural right. differences and, and behavior and so forth. I think what we're seeing from a research standpoint is that consumers have internalized that, and consumers have feel, and, and this is what social or cultural anthropologists like Grant McCracken would say is post-transformation, where, where people really do feel that they have uh, an ability, and it's, it's not a conscious, but it's, it's an unconscious feeling that they can um, grab bits and pieces of culture and make it part of their own. And we look at that, obviously, from an ethnic standpoint first, where we look particularly at the large number of bicultural, bilingual Hispanics in the United States. And we look at what we're calling cultural hybridity as coming from two forces. One is really circumstantial, where people may have been born uh, in another country and retaining some of their culture. And then there's some by choice, where uh, you aren't really defined uh, by the town you grew up in and the people that you sat with in the lunchroom anymore. Um, particularly the digital media, media landscape has given people access to tremendous amounts of information and to affinity groups that they can then make their own. And uh, what we find is that um, hybridity takes a lot of different forms, and it's very complex for marketers. For example, let's take the example of a 30-year-old male who was born to Hispanic parents in Miami and who now lives in New York and loves anime and drift racing, Afropunk, and Forex trading, and is at heart a gamer. That person may have a media profile that's akin to a 13-year-old boy from Great Britain. Uh, well, he may be totally different from his next-door neighbor who also shares the same household income and is can also considered a professional. So uh, we look at that as being, uh, you know, back to your earlier question about segmentation, a real challenge for marketers to understand how to approach marketing. And we think that the dynamic of uh, of allocating dollars from a brand standpoint towards targeted ethnic marketing and then a general market is a dynamic that's going to change. Uh, it, our research has uh, shown us that it's much more uh, likely that we're going to be looking to try and find commonalities that represent real uh, engagement points between brands and consumers based on real strong insights and then also understanding where there still are points of differentiation and applying that to a multicultural marketing model. Well, I'm going to hold off because next segment I want to talk a little bit about those uh, cultural connection points that you just referred to, and we don't quite have enough time to get into it this segment, so I'll save it till next. All right. Sounds like a plan on the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. Carl Izzy out of uh, Michigan. It's uh, the uh, Detroit area, and we'll continue the conversation here in just a moment uh, at the Advertising Show. Stay right here. Make your advertising dollars work smarter. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. One final segment with our special guest today, Carl Izzy, out of the, the Detroit area. Global Hue Next, GlobalHue.com is the website. And, Carl, it's a pleasure having you here today. Welcome back. Thank you. And we did have a Boston cream pie, by the way, in the green room for Carl today, originally out of Boston, <laughs> but today in Michigan we're talking to him. Yeah. You know, Ray, uh, 
Carl and I, uh, I'm sorry, Ray and I, I should say, Carl, were talking about this uh, part of your article before you came on the show today, and we both found it very interesting. And the fact that you say there's a greater need today to get under the hood of visible consumer behaviors to understand emerging cultural connection points. What advice can you share with us to better understand the concept of emerging cultural connection points for both multicultural as well as traditional general market efforts? Well, the, the multicultural industry and the role of multicultural agencies has been to isolate culturally relevant insights to an ethnicity and understand uh, how to make a, a connection point between the brand's message and a consumer group based on those. And as we see the fragmentation of those markets and indeed the fragmentation of the markets overall, uh, we're reminded that the principle still applies, which is understanding cultural relevance, but we're also uh, working with our clients to find new ways to do that, ways where the brands can look at real consumer connection points, um, given the economic and the social and the political backdrops that drive so many consumer decisions, and understanding where there are real points of convergence and divergence. The study that I mentioned before, which we're about to announce, uh, this is essentially a little bit of a preview, uh, one of the things that we did for to, to answer your question was to uh, plot our segments, the 32 segments that we isolated, uh, in a uh, in essentially a graph that shows uh, consumers running from ranging from pessimistic to optimistic and disengaged to engaged. And what we find by doing that is, and by doing it within that, doing it by ethnicity is we get a very, very strong understanding of the backdrop that consumers are experiencing when they make decisions about when to purchase and what brands they're going to consider and um, how they're going to spend their money, and that's what's important to our clients. So by looking at that, uh, we, we feel that we are delivering to our clients an ability to uh, understand the backdrop for how messaging is going to be received and also uncovering opportunities to align specific products to specific segments. For example, as we look at that segmentation, we see that older African Americans are among the most optimistic and engaged of the consumer groups that we identified, more so than non-Hispanic whites, Hispanics, or, or Asians. Those consumers are very likely to respond favorably to messaging that's positive, that's aspirational, that reflects uh, some of what they feel they've achieved in life. On the, the sort of polar opposite end of that are traditional uh, non-Hispanic white conservatives who are very pessimistic and very uh, disengaged uh, in terms of uh, how they feel their lives are progressing and where the country is going. And uh, they may respond more favorably to, for example, messaging that's nostalgic or uh, brings them back to a time that was, was happier. You know, I want to direct our listeners to visit RefreshEverything.com, which is Pepsi's Refresh Project. Uh, and what a great example of uh, how to culturally connect with your consumer. You want to talk a little bit about the uh, the site and what it's all about? Well, I can speak to um, the, the Pepsi campaign uh, generally. And I think that what I was just talking about, I think Pepsi is a classic example. Uh, if you think again about our our continuum of pessimist, pessimistic, disengaged, and optimistic, engaged, Pepsi is really keying in on a cultural insight that goes beyond the boundaries of ethnicity. Essentially, they're talking to people who 
understand that the backdrop for the country is very difficult, and for a lot of people personally, it's very difficult. And whether you're optimistic and feeling like your lives are is going pretty well, but you understand that other people's aren't, or you're feeling like things aren't going your way and you want to appreciate a brand that is uh, doing something about it, I think Pepsi's headed on the head by offering people the opportunity to co-create ideas that are going to have a material impact uh, on their communities and then by obviously supplying some funding to help people get those ideas into play. You know, I just want to get your take uh, since we have you. You deal with numbers and data and cultural, uh, uh, new cultural insights and so forth. I want to get your take on the criticism of the wording of a few of the questions uh, that's been uh, received of the 2010 census. In particular, uh, you know, question number nine seems to have a lot of people uh, feeling a bit sensitive. The question is, what is your race? And the options were black. Uh, African-American and Negro. Some say the word Negro is not racially sensitive. I think I would agree with that. Question eight asks about Latino heritage and uses the word Chicano. Should we really be, you know, dealing with this kind of stuff in 2010 as far as how to create a questionnaire for our census these days? Well, you know, I think that uh, the census overall is a fairly ambitious project, and I should take the time to mention that uh, Global Hue has participated as one of the agencies of record in the census initiatives this year. Um, I think that, you know, the there are always nuances when it comes to understanding how to put a label on people, and essentially what the census is all about is trying to categorize people uh, in ways that are going to make sense and be useful in terms of counting. And on one hand, I understand the criticisms. On the other hand, I understand the need to try and find labels uh, that accurately represent who people are. And I've heard uh, here, and you know, I work in one of the most, most diverse businesses in the United States, period, uh, in our firm, and I've heard uh, people both say that um, they'd rather have seen other terms, and I've heard a lot of people say that they don't mind. Well, I'm just, I guess I'm trying to figure out what you would gain by insights to a person that checks the black box versus the African-American box versus that's the a Negro very box. Good, that's a valid point, yeah. Well, one of the I mean, things wh- that we're looking at, for example, in again, going back to the study, when we look at the African-American population, there uh, are, are approximately 11% of the black population in the country is not African-American but is Caribbean descent. Okay. And I think that maybe it should have said Caribbean descent rather than black. I could tell yeah. you that if anybody that says Negro, they're probably of an older uh, African-American. Anyone that refers to blacks probably mid-aged, and African-American tends to be the younger uh, uh, black, if you will. So I think you could learn a lot just by looking at age group uh, uh, as opposed to s- suggesting that you check a box on that kind of thing. But I guess that's just my thoughts, and you know, they have their thoughts, and... You have yours, Carl. That's right. <laughs> there you go. Carl, we are uh, just about out of time here. Fascinating stuff. I mean, if, it, if, you, if you didn't think advertising and finding the right ears, eyes, and respondents was tough before, it's, uh, it, it's a little bit more finite than just uh, some of the things that uh, advertising practitioners do. So this is really cool stuff, Carl. I want to uh, point out the website again, globalhue.com. And you're with the Global Hue Next uh, initiative as well as what uh, we're talking about today. But, Carl, it's been fascinating, and uh, we wish you the best. And and, and enjoy the summer there in Michigan. It it probably will last all the way through July, I'm sure. 
Well, thank you, and thank you for having me. <laughs> the Advertising Show. I want to say thanks once again to our good friend Carl Izzy, Global Hue International, for another Encore show here on The Advertising Show. It's being brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. Visit online at adage.com. The power behind The Advertising Show, the web power and the marketing power, from a platform called Tendency, available exclusively at Shipple.com. Those are the guys that uh, are helping us get the word out on advertising and marketing. It's S-C-H-I-P-U-L.com. Check it out. Thanks for listening today. The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth is a copyrighted Big Radio Midgets production. We will talk to you again soon. Why do more media professionals read IWantMedia.com? IWantMedia.com features reports from industry leaders and media personalities. IWantMedia.com gives you quick access to news, stats, trade orgs, and industry publications, and it's updated daily. Forbes says IWantMedia.com contains everything media professionals need to stay ahead of the game. The Washington Post calls it the source for the serious media geek. Do you get it? If you don't, you should. To sign up for free daily email alerts, visit IWantMedia.com.